You're listening to the AG Lockhart Podcast. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Matt Burton. Man, if you have your Bible today, turn to the book of Revelation chapter 19. We've been studying, we've been under this kind of theme that we're going to be here for a year, but our life needs to be about it, to be on purpose. What is God's purpose for our life? How do we stay on purpose? What do we do when we get off track to get back on purpose? And today we just want to talk a little bit about the church and what the church is. If you don't mind, would you stand with me if you can as we read God's word in Revelation chapter 19. We'll start with verse 6. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of a loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And the bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words that come from God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. How do we live on purpose? What's the purpose of the church? I have a title today. It's called Some Things We Do at Church. Some Things We Do at Church. A lot of stuff probably goes on at church. I want to be careful today in my presentation that I don't just present some facts, a list of things, but that somehow with the help of God's spirit, we realize, we sense, we understand that These aren't just activities like any other program or any other group of people that might be throughout the world. It's not just an organization. These things that we do in church, they're infused by the power of God for the purposes of God. Jesus said, I will build my church. And the kind of church he's building, no matter what they say about it on TV or the news or what we can comprehend with our own senses, the kind of church he's building, he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So God's doing something. And so in the something that he's doing, I don't want my presentation to kind of say, okay, here's a few things we do at church, just so you understand. I want that with the Lord's help, we would sense, God, you have your hand on this. You have your power on this. Your attention is focused on this. And this is the God who spoke and created the universe. So if his attention is on it, if his power is on it, if his plans are on it, then what must it be? Well, it must be like these verses. That there's a church that's going to be like a bride to Jesus, but a pure and spotless bride. All right, I'd like all the pure and spotless people to stand up real quick. We just want to high five you. All right, just for like the last 26 hours, who, who did it all right? Do you feel pure and spotless? Do you look around at the church and go, pure and spotless, looking good? You know, you give a wink, that little bling goes off your teeth. Everything's clean and crisp and in order. Somehow between now and somehow between then, God is going to do something in his people. It's a plan he has from the beginning of time. It's in the power of his word and the power of his Holy Spirit. It's not an idea. It's not a fictional story. It is what God is going to do. There will be a day when we stand and we say the words of those verses, when we're together with the multitudes who believe in God, and we will be pure and spotless. God is refining his people. How do you refine some things? Well, how do you clean your dirty clothes? Do you just go, bling, you're clean? You put them in that wash. Did you know that thing in the washer is called the agitator? 
Yeah, I like the guy that named that. Appreciate you. We're being clean. There's going to be some agitation. You know how those clothes go around and around and around? Anybody been on their four trip around this one subject? Something's going on in your life. You're like, really? Again? Thought we did that. I love it. It's called reteach. Retest. I sometimes pray this real simple prayer. Lord, I would love to understand this the first time. Because I'm really good at getting to say it over and over and over again. But could I learn it the first time? Oh, but the Lord's patience. With a smile, he says, as long as it takes, Matt. I love you that much. I'm making you something. I'm making you pure and spotless. So when we talk about these few things that we do in church today, we're talking about things that in the word of God it is asked us to do, mandated for us to do, set out the order for us to do, but it's in the power of God with the grace of God to accomplish it. It's not a person that can do it, but God in us, he can do it. Before I get to the things, and somebody say, hurry up and get to the things. Before I get to some of the things that we do, I just want to ask you, has there ever been an organization, a group of people that has had more conflict, more enemies, more trouble, more persecution, more things against it than the church? From inside the church, Jesus said there would be wolves in sheep's clothing. There would be enemies of God that would look like God's people, come into the place of God's people in his church, and from the inside out, try to destroy it. But here we are, 2023. March, it's already time to change my clock for it again, my not favorite time of the year. Already in this millennia, the church of Jesus is still moving forward. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. From the inside out, it has tried to be destroyed from the enemies of God. Inside, looking like God's people, trying to tear it down. That's why sometimes we see things that happen and go, how could that happen in church? Well, that wasn't the church. That was the anti-church snuck into the church. What about from the outside of the church? Years and years, countries, kings, people, voices, opinions, principalities, spirits that raise themselves up against the knowledge of God, demons, fallen angels that have come against God's church. And 2023, here we are. His church is still moving. Oh, there's some shaking. There's some cleaning. There's some going around and around. There's some agitation. But there's some purification happening. God who began a good work in you is faithful and just to complete that work. Oh, I need to hear that. He's not done with me. And he's not somebody that throws projects away on the side. Be like, man, I can't do anything else with that thing. Just start over. Call Amazon. See if they'll take it back. No, God is going to complete what he's begun in us. So there's been attacks from inside the church, multiple attacks from outside the church, and there will be. In fact, the Bible says the nations of the earth will one day gather and they will march on Jerusalem against Jesus himself. Nations that rage against God. I can't understand it. But there are people who just hate him. And there are spirits that just hate him. And they are going against him. But he laughs, it says. He laughs. The God of heaven laughs like, what? You know, it's like Mike Tyson and a little four-year-old comes up to him. He's like, come on, Mike, I'm about to knock you out. And Mike be like, hmm. It's just not an equal matchup. I mean, it's bigger than that. The strength of a person, like a candle trying to outshine the sun. But then also the church is being built by us. Jesus calls us the living stones that he's made. Like, I don't know about you. I'm having a hard time just building me. Like, remembering to brush my teeth twice a day. Just like managing my own stuff. 
And I'm the person, God says, no, Matt, I want you to be a stone in the wall of the church that I'm building. Somehow God is working in us to make us into his people. And we're not all the way there yet. Oh, he's real happy with us right now. He's smiling. He loves us. He welcomes us. His spirit comes when we sing. He's close to us. He's speaking to us. He's putting a light on his word. He's making a way for us. He's fixing things out in front of us that we don't even know. Some of it we get to see. But we're the church God's building, and I don't feel like I have a lot of strength to be the, i like, God, you better put me, like, on the outside. Like, if I fall off the side of the house, it still won't, like, the house will still stand up. And the Lord goes, no, Matt, you're a living stone. I'm going to connect you with other stones. I'm making my temple. My people are my church. So much that he loves us, we're called the bride of his son. There will be a wedding feast at the end, and blessed are the ones invited to the wedding feast. So as we look at these things we do at church today, it's with the end goal that God has mandated that we do these things so that in the process of him purifying us, we get to where he wants us to go. So let's just look at number one. Somebody said, thank God for number one. Singing. In Ephesians, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Our old life was dead. Our new life in Christ, the Spirit of God comes to indwell us. He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms, singing hymns, singing spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord, even in your hearts. And he says, and give God thanks, give God thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at that verse. It says to sing songs. Did you know we don't just come because... One kind of church likes music and another kind of church doesn't like. We come and sing because the Bible says to sing. Over and over in the Psalms, it says sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord. It might be the most thing we're commanded to do in the Bible as far as repetition. Sing to the Lord. Did you know you're created as an instrument? And that somehow, whether you know the Lord or not know the Lord, music can get into places of your life that you didn't give it permission to. You can walk into a place, hear a song, and it will take you back to that place, good or bad. You didn't mean to. You didn't plan it. You didn't even invite it. You just all of a sudden, that song, it takes you back. Hopefully, it's a good song and a good place it takes you back to. Did you know that opening your mouth is a key that unlocks your heart? We are commanded to sing to the Lord. The Bible says this, let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your life. Teach it and counsel each other with the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful heart. So we're singing to each other. We're singing to God. It's communication. It's just one of the languages of the spirit of God. We sing to God. The book of Psalms has songs and poems and prayers. In Exodus, I believe it's the first place in the Bible where a song was recorded, but I'm sure it wasn't the first time someone sang to the Lord. But they come through the Red Sea, Pharaoh hot on their trail. They don't know if they're going to make it. They've been delivered from slavery, and now they're about to die in the run from it. And they come, and they see the Lord's mighty hand part the sea and, and pursue and kill their enemies. And it says Moses in Exodus 15 led the people in a song. We still do that today. My daughters go, Dad, do you know the Kansas City Chiefs have their own song? 
I'm like, yeah, I sure they do because the Houston Oilers have their own song. And if the Oilers could have their own song, then for sure the Chiefs do. We sing songs to celebrate, even football games. We sing songs at weddings. We sing songs that just normal part of our life. We sing songs driving down the road with a window down and our dog hanging his tongue out the truck. Music is part of us. But Moses sang that song. As soon as Moses got finished singing a song, his sister sang a song. They sang a song to the Lord. That's in the Old Testament, Matt. Well, what about the New Testament in Acts 16? Paul and Silas in prison for their faith, for healing in the name of Jesus, a young girl. They're thrown in jail. It says around midnight they were praying and singing to God. They were having church in a jail. They're like, you can take the man out of the church, but you can't take the church out of the man. Sing to the Lord. We sing at church, but it's not just like singing at the Chiefs game. It's not even like singing at a wedding. It's not like even singing at some special event. When we sing, we are communicating with God. We are joining our voices with the voices that are around his throne. We are joining our voices with the voices of his people around the earth. It is supernatural when we sing. So before I get to number two, can I just ask you, do you sing? Oh, now you're going to poke. Do you sing? All right, I want all the ushers to come forward. I want to take names. You're gonna, we're going to go down the road. It's going to be like try out for choir. <laughs> Is he serious? No, I'm not going to do that. Do you sing? There is opposition against your singing. There'd be a little small voice that says, you can't sing, man. You sound terrible. Don't sing. You don't even know the word. Don't sing. You know what you did last night. Don't sing. Don't sing. Don't, 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 don't. So much don't sing, it ought to be proof to you that you need to sing. I want to encourage you to sing even if it's just a whisper. I want to encourage you to sing even if you're just by yourself. I want to encourage you to follow this command in Scripture to sing. And let's break the song. Let's bring the song from our love for God from Lockhart and let's throw it into the atmosphere against all the other mess that's up there, the principalities and the spirits in the air. Do you sing? What, oh, some people are like, yeah, extra points. Let's do it again. Do you sing? Yes. Hey, wherever your singing is, wherever your singing is, I appreciate the encouragement. Wherever your singing is, let's just take it one step further. Maybe I want to sing more often. Maybe I whisper so nobody can hear me, so I'm going to go to a, like, medium whisper. Maybe I don't sing, and I'm going to start whispering a song. Let's just do this. Lord, I love you enough to just go one step further. Lord, if it says in your word, I'm going to sing, oh. Some of us, we sing so much, people are like, bro, it says pray continually. It doesn't say sing continually. All right, now you're messing. But others of us, I want to encourage you, sing to the Lord. You'll be surprised what it unlocks in your life, the key that it is to what God's doing. We sing. That's some of the things we do in church. We sing. We have prayer at church. 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy, training him as a leader of the church. He says, I urge you, first of all, pray. Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer. Pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf. That means stand in the middle of their mess and God and be the intercessor. Give thanks for them. Pray for kings. Pray for those in authority, that we can live peaceful, quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. In church, we need to pray. 
There's obstacles to that. Even in Jesus' day, one day he had to throw tables and kick people out because they were an obstacle to prayer. There are obstacles to our prayer. Doubt, fear, unbelief. Someone might hear me pray out loud. The last time I prayed, it didn't work out so well. There's all kinds of things that come against it. But we are asked, mandated, commanded that first of all, we pray. You can't have a relationship without talking. So we've got to talk to God. We've got to listen to God. We've got to talk to each other. We've got to pray for each other. Some of my answers are in your mouth. Some of my help comes from you. You don't believe that? My heart needs blood, but there are vessels all over my body helping to get that blood there. My, what's that called? Vascular system? Dang. I wish I would have thought of it before I asked you. That system in my body, even though my heart's the big deal, it needs all that other stuff that's making it. Doesn't it sound so scientific how I'm talking about it? For the parts of you to work, it's dependent on other parts. For me to work, for my help, you for me, I'm for you and you for me. We need each other. When you don't pray, you're not only holding it back for you, you're holding it back for us. But you're also, we're also missing out on that communion with God. Do you pray? Ephesians, it says, pray in the spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. In the coming months, we're going to develop and strengthen our prayer team. Everybody's going to be on the prayer team, and then we're all going to have different parts to play. Do you pray? Do you pray? Now they're answering because they're like, say yes, so we get out quicker. Do you pray? Pray continually. Pray more. Wherever your prayer life is, could you say to God today, Lord, because I love you and because you love me, I'm going to go a step further in my prayer. Maybe I'm going to pray out loud. Maybe I'm going to pray with my family. Maybe I'm going to pray at the next lunch. Maybe I'm going to pray at lunch today in the restaurant because I don't normally do that. Maybe I'm just going to pray again because I stopped praying because me and God had a problem. I wonder today if we could follow what God commands in Timothy chapter 2 that we should pray first of all. Maybe you only pray for your friends. Maybe start praying for your enemies. Maybe you ask God to send lightning on your enemies, and you, now you need to start learning how to bless them. I wonder if we could pray. We can pray. You know what else we do in church? We give. There's giving in church. 2 Corinthians 8, 17, Paul says, since you church, he's talking to the church in Corinth, since you excel in so many ways, and then he pumps them up. He's like, you excel in your faith. You excel in your gifted speakers, just like all generations where that guy can explain the, the systems of the body so well. And his jokes aren't funny. And I don't even get them. All right, go on to the verse. You excel in your faith. You excel in your, your speakers. You excel in your knowledge. You excel in your enthusiasm. You excel in your love that you get from us and give to us. He goes, I want you to excel in giving. We're asked to give. In the Old Testament, it said it like this. In Malachi, bring all the tithe into my storehouse that there'll be enough in my temple. If you do, I'm the Lord of heaven's armies, and I will open the windows of heaven for you, and I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test, the Lord says in Malachi 3. Well, that's the Old Testament. Are we supposed to give in the New Testament? Well, I just read the New Testament. 2 Corinthians says, excel in giving, and I'm so thankful for this church. We announced at the business meeting last week that in our annual budget from last year, we gave 27% of it to missions. 
in all the money that we took into this church, 27% went to missions. And that's because we have a culture and a legacy, and our pastors built this church on missions, and that's what we're going to hold on to. We want to excel in giving. Give in proportion to what you have, it says in the rest of these verses. Whatever you give, it's acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have. Don't give according to what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean for you to give that it will make other people's lives easier and your lives harder. I only mean that there should be some equality, Paul writes. He says, right now you have plenty so you can help those who have need. Later when you're in need, those who have plenty can help you and things will be equal. It's the body of Christ helping the body of Christ. Do you give? Do you think Jesus notices? In Mark chapter 12, Jesus sat down, it says, at the collection box in the temple, and he watched the crowds give the money. He watched the rich dump a bunch of quarters in there. Ding, 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 ding. And then he watched this poor lady give two pennies. And then he told his disciples, let me teach you something. This lady gave more than everybody else. Because it wasn't the quantity, it was the quality. It was from the heart. It was a gift, even though I feel like I don't know how much I'm going to give it. Do you give? This church gives. I want to ask us, could we go a step further? Maybe we're giving our 10% in a tithe. Maybe we need a mission offering. Maybe you're giving to missions and you're giving a tithe. Maybe you need to give your time somewhere. Maybe you need to give a kind word. Maybe you need to give a little bit more at your job, just like a best, better effort. Like you be the example of what the greatest employee at that place is because the greatest of all time lives inside of you. Do you give? Is there a way that you could say today, Lord, I give and I've given, but because you love me so much and because I love you, I want to give a, a little bit more. And maybe ask the Lord, Lord, what, where should I give and how should I give? You know what else we do at church? Preaching and teaching. Yeah, we know about that one. 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul is training Timothy as the next pastor of this church. He says, preach the word of God. Preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether it's time or not. Patiently correct. This is what preaching and teaching does. It patiently corrects. It patiently rebukes. That's a strong correction. It patiently encourages people with good teaching. We got to have preaching and teaching. We do that at our church because the Bible says we need to preach and teach. Did you know without the proclamation of God's word, people won't believe and there won't be faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You came to faith in Christ because someone spoke about it. It might have been the Holy Spirit through that person. It might have been in a church or it might have been just in a conversation. It might have been something they said years ago and it came back to you. But there was the preaching and the teaching of God's word that brings us to faith. It's God drawing us through his word. We got to have preaching and teaching. 1 Timothy 4.13 says, focus on reading the scriptures to the church. And so we have, try, we have all our sermons, and they're, they're based on Scripture. And then we talk about them, and we try to dive deep into them, and we put them on the screen. I encourage you to have your own Bible, digital or on paper, stone tablets, however you like it. But have your own copy of Scripture. I want to ask you, are you listening to teaching? Are you listening to preaching? Not just for seven hours on Sunday when Matt's talking and making you late for lunch. But daily, are you in the word? Is it teaching you? Is the Holy Spirit your guide and your teacher? Are you listening to good men and women and their ministries and, and putting that into your mind and into your soul and into your thinking and meditate on it? Are you listening to teaching and preaching? Could you say to the Lord, Lord, 
I've been listening to you. I want your teaching. And to take a step more, I'm going to start trying to obey it more. Or I'm going to start listening more. Or on my drive to work, instead of this, I'm going to listen to your scriptures. Or my, is there some area of your life where you could say, Lord, I'm going to take another step forward with preaching and teaching? Here's one. Are you teaching anybody? I can do that. I don't have a degree from my psalm like Nora. Does God live in you? Then the spirit of God, the, the, the word made flesh, Jesus, his spirit lives inside of you. Now, we're all teaching somebody. You may be the mentor at work and you got to teach that person how to not break the copier. And if you're my mentor at work, and I'm sorry for you because I'm going to break it about three times at least. Are you teaching your children? Are you just teaching your younger brother? Are you teaching a younger person in Christ? You don't know everything, but you know something. And there's someone who knows less than you about the Lord, and you can teach them. And so I think today the Lord would say, hey, can you teach for me? What am I going to teach? What do you know I love you? Yeah, there you go. That's the first and greatest thing to teach, that God loves people. Do you have any hope because of me? Well, then maybe you just want to say hopeful things when everybody else is saying Miserable things. When the party's going south, like all this and all that, and the world's going, and you're like, I feel kind of hopeful. And maybe the Lord will just say, you quote a verse. He's the God of all hope, so I'm going to be hopeful. Or maybe you're going to do it more subtle. Like when Paul was with certain people, he preached a certain way. Maybe he's going to say, you know, man, I've been feeling miserable too, but I just decided it's making me more miserable. So I'm going to be hopeful. I'm going to have hope. And then through that conversation, you may get to some area in there where you can mention the Lord's name. Are you teaching anybody? Are you listening to teaching? You know what else we have in church? We have scripture. Timothy said this, all scripture, Paul said this to Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our life. We won't know what's true. And we won't know what's wrong in our life without the principles and the teachings and the commands of God telling us. <clears throat> now, it may be God telling you through your grandmother or your mom or through your dad's belt. I'm just kidding. That doesn't happen anymore. It may be through a message or a sermon or prayer, but it will be the scripture, the word of God teaching us. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare us and to equip us to do every good work. And do you remember the first verse we read? There was a pure and spotless bride in robes of linen, and the linen was the good works that the church was doing. And how do we get prepared to do the good works? God uses the scripture to prepare us. God uses the scripture to teach us. Oh, there's a lot of wisdom. There's a lot of words in the world, in the culture. There's a lot of uh, wives' tales. There's a lot of superstitions. There's a lot of stuff that sounds good on the outside, but it's empty on the inside. There's a, not a lack of people telling you what you ought to think. But the scripture is God's word inspired by God. Paul told Timothy, focus on reading the scriptures to the church. Encourage the believers and teach them. Psalm 119, David said this, your commands make me wiser than my enemies. They guide me. I got more insight than my teachers because I'm always meditating on your law. Psalm 119, 104, he says, your commands give me understanding. Your word is a lamp. It guides my feet and it lights my path. We've got to have God's light or we won't even know where the path is. We'll just think we're on it. And the Bible said there's a way that seems right, but it leads to destruction. 
You won't be corrected off that way without the scripture rebuking you and correcting you and hemming you in and getting you back on track. Romans said this. Paul wrote to the church in Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The scripture, the good news, the teaching of who Jesus is. I'm not ashamed of it. It's the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. The scripture is the power of God saving everyone who believes. The good news of Jesus, the gospel, that God loves the world, that the world has fallen from God, that God intervened by sending his son as a savior, that the savior bled and died and rose again, offering new life to everybody, and that those who believe and put their faith in Christ, they can live with God forever. The gospel is what is changing believers. It's first for the Jew and then to the Gentile. That means it's everybody. It's open to everybody. There's not many things in this world open to everybody. Right? Amazon and the Bible probably. No, kidding. I used to say when we lived in Mexico, they can't find electricity down here, but the water truck, the Coke truck, and the Corona truck can find this place. There's not even a road, and here comes a truck. Boom, 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 boom. And it was a picture to me. God goes, I go where the corona truck doesn't go. I go even further. All the heavens declare the glory of the living God. God's word speaks even through creation to those who don't have it written down. The scripture, God is using it. It's the power for anyone to believe. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. It accomplishes from start to finish by faith. All scriptures say it's through faith that the righteous person has life. Are the scriptures affecting your life? Are you reading the scriptures? Do they have an impact on you? Are you reading them and trying to do them? Do you have a schedule? Do you have a plan? Wherever you are with the scriptures, I read them and I don't understand them. Well, today, could you say, I'm going to try to read them again. I'm going to ask the Lord before I start to help me. I'm going to get a plan so I'm not just lost out there in the ocean. Maybe you read them all the time. Could you say, well, now I'm going to memorize them. Or now I'm going to pray them. Or I'm going to share them. Could we say to the Lord, Lord, thank you for loving me, and because I love you, I'm going to go one step further in how the scriptures are interacting in my life. We read the scripture at church. Another thing we do at church is we baptize people. Jesus said this, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, let's just stop on this verse real quickly. A disciple is a follower. It's someone who leaves one way to follow a teacher and go their way. Jesus was always saying that. Come follow me. Come follow me. Come follow me. People would leave their job and they just start walking around with Jesus. They would learn by watching him and listen to him. And they were followers, disciples. There's disciples of a lot of things. But Jesus says we're supposed to go and make disciples of him. We, that starts with teaching people that there's a God that loves them, that there's a Savior and that they need saving. And that in the death and resurrection of Jesus, that's where salvation is. Making a disciple is going through the process with a person of showing them in Scripture the truth of God, the gospel of Jesus. And then that person decides, yes or no, I'm going to follow Jesus. That's making a disciple. That can be a quick process. That could take a long time. It doesn't, that's, that's them and the Lord, but we are to go and to make disciples. That's our message. There's a God that loves you. You're separated from him by sin and by your own choices. But he loves you so much he made a way. He paid the price for your sin that you could come back to him. You can give your life to Christ 
and you can become his bride. You can become an adopted child into his family. You can become an adopted citizen into his kingdom. The Bible explains it a lot of different metaphors. But once we make a disciple, we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you just a little bit about baptism from the scriptures. Luke, John the Baptist, it says he went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show they had repented of their sin and turned to God. So John the Baptist, he was a forerunner to Jesus. He was his cousin, filled with the Holy Spirit from birth in his mother's womb. He was preaching. They thought he might even be the Messiah. He said, oh, no, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. He said, but I'm preaching that you should turn from your sin and turn to God. And if you want to let people know you did it, then let me baptize you. And he would lay them down in the water. Now you're dead to your sin. Now you're washed in God's love and you're raised to a new life. But he said, but there's one coming greater than me. He's not just going to baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with the spirit. And that thing that was symbolic, that you died to your sin, you went under the water, now the Spirit of God was going to go into you and raise you to a new life. You are going to go under the water in John's baptism to show that you've been washed from your sin, and you are going to come up saying, I'm going to live a different way. But when Jesus baptized you, it was going to be his Spirit that would wash you and cleanse you and make your spirit alive. The Bible says we're born dead because of Adam. We're sons of him. And then in Christ... Born again in Christ, we become alive. Oh, we're covering a lot of ground. It's only seven things we do in church, but this baptism is a big deal. We get water baptized in church when people decide they're going to be a disciple because they show the church, I have died to my sin. I now live in Christ, and that is the welcoming in to the family of God. It's the welcome home party. It's the thing that they did. They would baptize, John would baptize people and they would say, my baptism means I'm not living that way anymore. I'm living for God. And that's what it means to us today. We go under the water. We say, I'm dead to my sin, like a watery grave, the old preachers used to say. And then you come up in a new life. They used to say this, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. That's what they said when they put me under in seventh grade, all my long hair. I imagine my mom like, hold him under there a little bit longer. No, you didn't say that, mom? All right. We'll talk about it at lunch. It's symbolic, but it's supernatural. I mean, it's a symbol that my life was buried with Christ. I'm, 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 I'm putting my life with him. I'm taking on my cross. If Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you must die to yourself. And then let me live in you. He said, take up your cross and follow me daily. That baptismal experience, that's a symbol of dying to yourself and living a new life. But it's more than a symbol because John said he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And with fire, the fire of his love, the fire of his spirit, the fire of purification that makes old, ugly things into pure gold. So there's a symbolism in it, but there's a supernatural part of it. In all of it, just like in his scripture that can breathe life into us. Just like in singing that can change things in the atmosphere. There's a supernatural part to it. Baptism. Peter said to them on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit poured out. He preached. 3,000 people became disciples. 
He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, baptism is a big deal. It's a big deal. Can you not be baptized and be a Christian? Well, there was a thief on a cross. Cussing and screaming at Jesus, mocking him. And there was another thief on the other side. He said, man, don't you even get it? We're being punished for what we've done. This man's done nothing. Somehow that guy in that moment, he had a supernatural encounter with the truth of God. And he realized who Jesus was. And he said to him, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus looked at him and he said, you'll be with me today in paradise. They didn't take him off the cross and baptize him. He went to heaven straight from the cross. I don't know how it all works, but I know this. The verse says, go make disciples and baptize them. So if you're able to be baptized, I'm encouraging you, be baptized. Something symbolic will happen. Something supernatural happens. Have you been baptized? If you haven't been baptized but you're a believer in Christ, I invite you. Contact me. Contact Nora. She has a degree. (laughs) Call her at the church office. Say, I want to get baptized. And then me and you will have a coffee, a lunch, a phone call, however you want to do it. We'll look through a little bit of information. We'll make sure we're all on the same page. And then we'll baptize you here at this church for the forgiveness of your sins, to show your repentance, for the supernatural baptism of fire and the Holy Spirit. We'll ask God to come on that day. And we'll follow in obedience to baptism. Have you been baptized? Contact us. Let us know if you'd like to. Oh, no, I'm not getting in front of all those people. I ask you to pray about it. As you take your attitude and say, Lord, I have an attitude about it. I have a thing. I have an opinion. Here it is. Let's talk about it. And then be quiet for a minute. <laughs> Let the Lord talk about it. I'm praying for you. The Lord's working in your life. He's building a church. It's going to be pure and spotless. He's doing something in your life. I think singing, praying, scriptures, all these things we covered. I think your baptism, I think it has something to do with it. And then finally... We do a lot of things in church, but I'll stop on this one. And they said, amen. We have communion at church. Paul said this, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. We take communion. The bread represents Christ's body. The juice that we drink represents Christ's blood. Jesus said it like this. They were eating the Last Supper. He took some bread and he blessed it. He broke it into pieces and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it. And after the dinner, he poured a cup, the wine in the cup. He said, this is my blood poured out to you for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and drink it. It's a sign of our new covenant, covenant, like a marriage covenant, like an adoption covenant, like a contract in blood. Jesus said, and then the Bible commands us to do this when we get together, to proclaim the Lord's death, to proclaim his resurrection, to proclaim his coming, to remember. But we have to be careful. The Bible says, anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup in an unworthy manner, you're guilty of sinning against the body and blood of Christ. That's why you should examine yourself before you eat the bread. Examine yourself before you drink the cup. Because if you eat the bread and drink the cup in a way without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment on yourself. That's the end of these verses. It's in 1 Corinthians 11. What does examine yourself mean? 
It would mean to stop and to look at those things and to go, Lord, your body was broken for my sin. And then to confess your sin. It would be to look at the element of the Jews and say, Lord, your blood was spilt for me. And to have some kind of sober thought, Lord, I'm sorry it took your blood, but thank you. And cleanse me and wash me. It would, it would be a conversation. It would be a thought. It would be a reflection. It wouldn't be like, hey, how come this ain't strawberry juice? How come the crackers this or that? It wouldn't be that kind of thought. It would be like, Jesus really died for me? Beaten and whipped and broken? Blood spilling onto the ground? It would be a moment of repentance, a moment of reflection. And then it would be a moment of celebration. I'm alive because he died and now he lives. And because he lives, I can live. He was dead. And I will one day be dead. He came out of the grave. In him, I could come out of the grave. So it's celebration also. But it, it, we want to do it in a worthy manner. We do all these things because God is making a bride. He's purifying us. In Revelation, John saw this in heaven. He said, I saw a vast crowd too great to count from every nation. I saw a crowd from every tribe. I saw a crowd from every kind of people and every kind of language. And they were standing in front of the throne before the lamb. That's Jesus, the lamb of God who spilled his blood and gave his body as a sacrifice. It says they were clothed in white robes. They held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the lamb. There's a pure spotless bride from every kind of people, whether you grew up on the east side or the west side or the wrong side or the right side or the rich side or the poor side. Whatever side there in heaven is a crowd and they're pure and spotless wearing white robes because it says they have washed them in the blood of Christ. What can take away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know why we do some things at church? Because God in those things Day by day, agitation by agitation, circle by circle, round by round, or maybe it's even gentler. It's a hand wash, gentle cycle. Little by little, through the music we sing, through the prayers we pray, through the scripture we read, through what we teach, through what we preach, through baptism, through communion, little by little, God's making us those people. Those people with white robes. And our song is how great he is and where salvation comes from. Let's take communion today together, if you'd like. I'm going to ask the team to come forward. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more information about All Generations Church, go to aglockhart.org.